Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show. What we do here at Keystone Elder Law and what we try to do with this show is explain ways to build a shield to protect yourself against the costs and the challenges of getting older. And as I was thinking about this, it occurs to me that I really need to emphasize the costs can be financial, but they can also be emotional. Think about the situations that come up with older adults, and maybe this has happened with your spouse or your parents. The person loses the ability to pay bills reliably. Maybe the person has dementia, or they have, they've had a stroke, or they simply can't get around physically the way they once did. This is incredibly common, and I've, I've spoken about this in previous episodes of the show. Something like 70% of the population needs a higher level of care for a long term before they pass away. So this a, a lot of people get into the situation where they just can't handle the day-to-day responsibilities that they handled for the rest of their life. So if a, sp- a spouse or an adult child steps up and tries getting on the phone with an insurance company for an incapacitated parent, or they try to go into a bank, or they try to check on an investment account or an IRA account, that, that spouse or child tends to run into a brick wall. Financial institutions don't just talk to anyone about your accounts. They, they have tight security. They will talk to you or to a person you legally authorize to manage your legal and financial affairs. And remember what I said about 70% of the population needing a higher level of care. What if this is all happening when the person is not only unable to do the things they once did for themselves, but they also need, let's say, skilled nursing care because their health has really declined or dementia has really advanced? Now, not only can you not get into those bank accounts, you can't uh, get money out of an IRA account, but you're paying $13,000 every single month for the care for your loved one. And there is a way to avoid that. Your loved one almost certainly paid into the Medicaid system, and this is where the Medicaid system turns around and helps your family, and and you can avoid that $13,000 a month, but not without the ability to get into these accounts because ultimately you have to have almost no money at all to qualify for Medicaid, and we can through various legal steps, we can make the person broke in a hurry uh, and get them eligible for Medicaid, but that requires accessing all of these accounts. So you see where I'm going with this. You want to do legal planning so that somebody else can access and access accounts, make decisions, uh, move money around in the way that you always were able to do because chances are there will come a time when you're not able to do that yourself. When you think about estate planning, it's really hard to overemphasize this. It should not be just a boilerplate, one-size-fits-all, off-the-shelf plan. It really should be designed to work for you in particular situations. It should be designed to save you and your family a lot of money and a lot of emotional turmoil. So right now it's April when I when this show is airing, and most of you have prepared tax returns by now. Some of you have not, and I'll tell you, you have very, very little time left to do it. 
Mine personally are done. My, my personal taxes, my taxes as the owner of Keystone Elder Law. And I'm fortunate to have a relationship with a wonderful accounting firm. And I gladly paid them a not small amount of money to prepare my tax returns. And I was aware of how I was glad to do it when I was actually paying them. Think about it. I, I'm an attorney, and with enough time, I could probably read the Internal Revenue Code and the tax law of Pennsylvania and get my taxes done by myself. But you know what? I'm serving clients all day at Keystone Elder Law. My head is constantly in the law that deals with estate planning, Medicaid for long-term care, the law that governs uh, settling an estate when someone has died. That's what I'm doing all day, every day. Not to mention the grass is growing now and somebody's got to mow it. Uh, not to mention that I do want to spend some time with my family. So taking the time to become an expert in income taxes is really just not feasible for me. It makes so much more sense to just hand that problem over to an experienced professional who knows my circumstances and can get everything taken care of. But when you think about it, nobody wants to pay someone for a tax return. It's not like you get in your mind, I have some money burning a hole in my pocket, I want a tax return. I'm going to go buy a tax return. No, what you want is the comfort of knowing that you have everything in order, that you complied with what you're required to do, and that you didn't have to pay any more money to the IRS than you were required to. And even better, if you don't have to go through all of the, the dense language of the tax code and figure out how to do it yourself. We pay for products and services all the time. Sometimes, we enthusiastically pay for products and services because what we're paying for is worth more to us than the amount of money we're handing over. So some of you might have in mind that new car. You, you dream about that new car. And forking over a, a larger amount of money, you know, you do it because you just want that new car. On a smaller scale, I suppose it would be your Netflix subscription. You know, it's a monthly amount. You pay it because... You know what? It's more important to you to have hours of enjoyment and entertainment from Netflix than it is to have that same amount of money in your bank account. Whatever your hobby or your interest is, you spend money on it because you'd rather have the joy that it brings to your life than the money that you're paying to keep that hobby or interest going. And it's the same thing when it comes to getting your taxes done or, frankly, estate planning, except this is your entire life that we're talking about. You worked hard. You, you were disciplined about your saving. You, you didn't spend frivolously. So you have some money. You have, you have some real estate. And you have people who love you and who you love, and you want things to go smoothly for them if you get very sick or when you pass away. Will it go smoothly? Well, was your plan designed specifically for your financial resources, your health status, your family dynamics? Did anyone ask any questions about any of those things, or, or was this just sort of a generic one-size-fits-all plan that you came up with? And I happen to bring, a, I'm going into this level of detail because right around the time that I was happily paying the accounting firm, I was on Facebook, and I, I was looking at one of these Facebook groups that's for the neighborhood that I live in. You've seen these groups. It's where people write things like, uh, did anybody just hear that siren go by? What's going on? Those are the kinds of things that happen in those neighborhood groups. But in any event, I saw somebody talking about, uh, I, I need to find a, a power of attorney for my mom. And somebody else quote, uh, commented on that post and said, well, you don't need a lawyer to draft a power of attorney. I found one for my mom online for free. And, and I didn't 
comment or correct the person. I, I just hope for the best. I hope it does work out for that, that person's mom. Uh, I have my doubts, but this person who posted that obviously thinks that a power of attorney, a legal document, is just a boilerplate commodity. It's just something you buy off the shelf. And if that's how you think of it, it makes sense. You wouldn't want to pay an experienced professional to prepare that document to work for the family's circumstances. If you think one one is the same as the next one, then why would you want to pay any more? It's like going to Lowe's or Home Depot and if, if you find a hammer for slightly less money, you're going to pay less money. I mean, there's not much difference there, right? Well, I'm going to go through some of the questions that people should be asking about their power of attorney in particular, because I think the power of attorney when it comes to your legal planning for your later years of life, your estate planning, the power of attorney really stands out. It's just one of the more important things. It's incapacity planning. It's, it's an opportunity for asset protection. If you don't get the management of everything you own right while you're still alive but incapacitated, then there might not be anything left to go through your will when you're gone. So people usually want to talk about the will, and I don't mean to downplay the will or a trust. Trust can be very powerful too. But the power of attorney is just very, it's just incredibly important in capacity planning. And, it, and as you hear what I'm going to talk about, the questions people should be asking I hope by the end of this episode, you don't think of a power of attorney or really any aspect of your legal planning for the later years of life as a commodity, a boilerplate document, one size fits all, as that person in the Facebook group did. And the first thing I'll, I'll talk about is timing. You know, you can prepare an estate plan when you turn 18. Most people don't, of course. Some people, when their kids are going off to college, call my office and they want you know, some some powers of attorney, healthcare power of attorney in place just in case they have to make decisions for their child. That makes sense. But most people, you know, set it and forget it at some age or they just never do it. And the whole point is that you might lose the ability to manage your own decisions. You may pass away earlier than you expected. And it's a tragedy when people call my office and as they're literally taking a spouse or a parent to an assisted living facility or a skilled nursing facility. And some of these places won't admit someone if they don't have a power of attorney. And it's just how this went so long without getting done uh, just always surprises me. And I get it. People don't like to think about getting sick or getting or dying, but it's going to happen. Accidents happen every day. So we're going to go into in this episode the things you should be thinking about with a power of attorney in particular, all the things you should know about what it does for you and how it works. We'll be back in a moment with more on the power of attorney on the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. You are listening to News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Cauley, and today I'm talking about the power of attorney in particular and, as a broader matter, why your estate planning, your legal planning to have a smooth transition in the later years of life if you become incapacitated to having somebody else take over your decision-making, make sure that everything gets done the way it's supposed to get done, and how that should not be a boilerplate, off-the-shelf, one-size-fits-all plan. 
you know, when when people have young children, this seems to be often a wake up call that a plan should be put in place just because that's a major change in your lifestyle. And people start worrying what if something happens to me, who's going to take care of the child, who's going to make sure there's food on the table. But certainly by the time someone reaches retirement age, it's extremely important to have an estate plan that complies with all the changes in the law that have happened over the years, changes in your health and changes in your family. I suppose I should add to that changes in your finances. Do you have more money, more property now than you did 30 years ago? Maybe with the way the stock market has been going, that's not a good question to be asking right now, but you get the picture. There are these changes that that, that really affect your family, and and you, you need somebody to, to update your plan for what to do with all of that if you're not able to do it yourself. So what actually is a power of attorney. Well, are you familiar with the idea of a guardian angel? I grew up in a Catholic family. I went to Catholic schools where I heard about guardian angels all the time. 20 straight years of Catholic school, actually, if you count kindergarten through third year of law school. But the Catholics aren't the only people who talk about guardian angels. This this is a concept involving an angel assigned to watch over and protect a particular person uh, and and this this is a belief that a number of faith traditions have had in ancient Judaism. I'm told that that guardian angels were were uh, played a big role. But in any event, it's you have this this angel taking care of you. If you if you slip off the path, the angel will protect you and keep you safe. Well, when you prepare when you prepare a power of attorney, you are choosing a guardian angel, and you're choosing all the things that the guardian angel can do to keep you safe. So who's involved? Well, in the legal language, the person who's making the power of attorney. So if you came into Keystone Elder Law, you wanted to, ha- to update your estate planning or do it for the first time, that's fine too, then you are the principal and the person you're choosing as your guardian angel, the person who will make sure that everything gets done for you, even if you get sick or gravely injured, that's the agent. So the principal and the agent. The agent is the guardian angel. And a power of attorney can be used to give that agent the right to sell a car, to sell a home or other property that belongs to the principal. It can can be used to, to sign a contract on your behalf. That person should be thought of as standing in your shoes legally. They are, they, you know, a bank must now talk to that person as if they are talking to you, the account holder. That's how, that's how much this makes a difference. You are effectively becoming another person. If you're the agent for, to take care of things for that person. And consider the situation, and I've, I've seen this at Keystone Elder Law, where an older couple can no longer live in their home safely. One has advanced dementia. The other one has problems with physical mobility. Well, if they want to sell the house, maybe to move into a care community, like a personal care community, assisted living facility, they better have a power of attorney for the spouse with dementia, because a spouse with advanced dementia might not understand what's being signed. They might look at the paper and have no idea what's going on, in which case it won't be a legal or a valid legal document. So they're going to be in a pickle because they can't sell the house because if they don't have a power of attorney, the the spouse with advanced dementia can't sign the deed, the sales contract for the home, all those closing documents. So the most common use, though, of a power of attorney is simply signing checks on behalf of the incapacitated person you know, as I covered in a previous episode, passwords are a common nuisance for all of our online bank accounts, 
the portal we have with our doctor's office, uh, any social media accounts, the list goes on and on. I mean, you, you, your email, I, there's just more and more every day you need a password to get into anything. Well, if you need somebody to manage everything that you have and decisions that are being made, pay your bills, what if you only get bills to your email? You don't get a hard copy bill. Well, your agent, your guardian angel is not going to be able to pay the bill because they don't know that it exists unless they have ability to get into social media or email accounts more likely. So the power of attorney really should specifically give that agent the ability to access anything with a password. This has been coming up a lot, uh, well, more than it used to anyway, at, at Keystone Elder Law with our clients, you know, they're, they're, you know, adult adult child trying to make doctor's appointments for a parent, um, but but they can't get into the, uh, the, the portal with the doctor's office, and they can't change it to get access because there's no power of attorney. They have to actually have that legal authority to do things like even making a, an appointment and getting feedback from the doctor. There has to be some sort of power of attorney involved because you need all of the rights and the privacy uh, that goes with being a patient at a medical office. So when elder law attorneys draft a power of attorney, we're thinking about a broad, broad range of things. And it's not just going to be limited, uh, you know, you can get into my bank account. It's going to have a whole broad range of things that I want somebody else to do for me if I get dementia or if I have a stroke or if I have Parkinson's or have a bad car accident. If I'm not able to do all these things for myself that I pretty much take for granted at this point, I want somebody else to have broad authority to do all of these things. So some common questions that come up. Must a person be competent to sign a power of attorney? Since I've, I've already told you, some people wait until they are literally on the doorstep of the assisted living facility or the skilled nursing facility. The question comes up, can a person who might have, let's say, declining memory or, or a full-on uh, dementia diagnosis, can they still sign the document? The answer is that it's a functional test, but a person must be competent to sign the power of attorney. If you have waited until the person has advanced dementia, they're you know, stage six or seven on the, the scales that the, the dementia experts used, you, you, you've waited too long. They can no longer execute any legal documents that they simply would not be valid. So it has to be valid because they, they have to understand what's going on. Now, if, if, they, uh, if they have a dementia diagnosis, an Alzheimer's disease di- diagnosis, that doesn't mean they're, that they are necessarily uh, incompetent to sign a legal document as long as they have a lucid moment where you know they're speaking with, let's say, me as their attorney at Keystone Elder Law, and I'm asking questions, and I'm asking open-ended questions to see what they can explain in their own words, maybe in an abstract way about what they own. They don't have to know every penny in their bank accounts, but if they can tell me you know, who their family is, and they can tell me that they own, you know, money, they have money, they, they, they own a house, if they can mention specific items of property, and if they can say specifically that the person who will serve as their agent is somebody they trust, well, then we're on a pretty good path towards having that, that moment of lucid thought and, and they can sign the power of attorney. But you just don't want to take the risk. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to do anything unethical, and I'm not going to open up a family to a challenge by somebody else saying that, no, this person's being manipulated. They don't understand what's being signed. So 
back to the timing issue, get this done as soon as possible. Get it updated if it's been, I don't know, seven, eight, ten years since you even looked at your power of attorney. See if there have been any changes in the law. Uh, but you do have to be competent. It's more of a functional test. It's understanding what you have who is going to make decisions for you and whether you trust that person. And as long as the, the, the person can explain those things, then they probably have uh, enough cognitive ability to be competent to sign the legal documents. So who then can serve as the agent? Any competent person 18 years of age or older. So the person making the power of attorney, the principal, must be 18. The agent must be at least 18 um, and, and sometimes some financial institutions can serve as well. And there's no training that goes into being a power of attorney agent, by the way. There's no, you know, you don't have to have a certain level of education. You don't have to pass any test. Really, it just comes down to, uh, you know, are you organized? Are you a person who's trustworthy? Trustworthiness is pretty foundational because you can imagine that once somebody has this power of attorney, they can get into your bank accounts. They can sell your house. So we don't want this to turn into a license to steal from you. So, you know, they should be reliable. They should be trustworthy. And normally when I'm talking to a client and I'm, I'm asking about, let's say, adult children or friends, I want to know, you know, are, are they the type of people who will be able to keep careful records? Can they show money coming in, money going out? And any money that's going out, are they spending that money for your best interests and not lining their own pockets? Quick story, I was... Uh, consulted on a case uh, a couple of years ago where uh, a, a, a older man in his 80s, he has dementia. He he never leaves the personal care community that where he gets care and support. But to look at his bank accounts, it sure would look like he's getting his nails done every day and going to Starbucks an awful lot. Uh, and that's because he named his granddaughter as his power of attorney, and she did not quite understand the, the, the legal standard for what you do with a power of attorney. We'll talk about that when I come back from a break. We're talking about the power of attorney and everything that goes into it because it's so important. This is the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We're back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Colley. We're talking today about the power of attorney in particular as one of the more important ways to plan for the later years of life to make sure that you have a plan for incapacity. If you get injured, if you get very sick, you need somebody else to do all the things you take for granted to have them get into bank accounts, pay your bills, and so forth. And I'm going into all the common questions or common issues that come up because this can be some complicated stuff. And you really want this to be tailored to work for you and not some some off-the-shelf, one-size-fits-all plan. So one question I get an awful lot is, especially when it's a parent or parents of multiple children, they ask, can I name you know all of my children or both of my children as uh, my agents at the same time? Technically, yes, Pennsylvania law does allow that. I mean, you can you can say I want both Bobby and Sally, my children, uh, with co-equal authority to be able to make decisions. But I ask a lot of questions because I want to know how do Bobby and Sally get get along together? What's their relationship like with their parents? I want to know a lot here because you are placing a significant amount of trust in them. And what if they don't get along? What if they don't agree on something? 
Then who's the tiebreaker if they have equal authority? Well, a judge, but you don't want to have to spend money uh, or time or the, the emotional energy to go to court to settle a dispute between Bobby and Sally. You want to name ideally one person and then the, the you know name Bobby and then Sally can be the backup. If something happens to Bobby, then you have a backup. It's always good to have a backup because what happens if you don't have a power of attorney? What if you wait until uh, the, the, the cognitive incapacity prevents, uh, you know, the law says that you're not allowed to have a power. You can't execute legal documents. If you don't have a power of attorney or if you named somebody and they passed away and you don't have a backup, now the government's plan kicks in. The government's plan is guardianship court. And I'll talk about that at the end if we have some time. But guardianship court is is there you know just to a point a judge has to hear all the circumstances decide that you can no longer make decisions and appoint somebody to make all of your financial legal and healthcare decisions for you but here you know all you have to do with the power of attorney is name more than one person and the likelihood of both of them passing away or becoming incapacitated goes way down but my my main concern when people ask me about naming more than one person is just what if they don't get along? And even if I can write it that they don't both have to show up to the bank to sign a form, you know, one of them can or the other one can. But even there, the left hand might not know what the right hand is doing. And communication just becomes so important. And because it's just, I don't know, I've seen it often enough that that you know, when a parent gets sick, that does something to the, the children. They're worried. They're not thinking rationally. And if they start bickering, if they're not getting along, having more than one person as co-equal agents just really uh, causes delay. It causes all kinds of, of turmoil that you want to avoid. So what can the agent actually do? Well, it has to say it in the power of attorney or they can't do it. That's the short answer. But, you know, a power of attorney can 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 list all kinds of authority. Once you're done saying who the agents are, page after page is just what the person may do. And it should be written very clearly so that it's very clear not only to the agents themselves, but to the banks, the insurance companies, the investment firms, uh, anybody else that, that this person has the authority to do uh, anything that's listed on behalf of the incapacitated person. So some specifics are going to be, well, you can pay my bills. You can collect any money that's owed to me. You can manage any investment accounts or change the beneficiary on my life insurance or, you know, you're going to do all these things. You can you can change the title on my car at PennDOT. Uh, you can sign a deed and, and a contract of sale to sell my home. Uh, these are all going to be listed in, in quite a bit of detail in a good power of attorney. And one thing that I would probably say in this most important piece of your estate plan, the power of attorney, one thing that is probably more important in my line of work than anything else is the gifting authority. And you might be thinking, gifting? Uh, you know, I, I give gifts at holidays and birthdays, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about asset protection. So, for example, when uh, a spouse or, or a parent uh, has declining health, let's say they have that advanced dementia, they've had a bad stroke, they need a higher level of care. At Keystone Elder Law, we get people through those crises looking for the right level of care for them. And if Medicaid is available to pick up the tab for what would otherwise be about $13,000 a month, then we want to get them eligible for Medicaid. 
but you don't get eligible for Medicaid while you have a lot of money in your name. And by a lot, I mean more than a couple thousand dollars. That's about all you're allowed to have and get eligible for Medicaid. And if you need that level of care, you probably don't need ready access to a lot of cash anyway. You need the care. And if you have a spouse at home and you're paying $13,000 a month for care, what is your spouse going to live on? Your spouse is going to be worried sick about plunging into poverty. So the unlimited gifting authority that we like to build into a power of attorney means that not only can they go and deal with your accounts at the bank, they can empty them out. And the goal, of course, in Medicaid planning is to keep as much of the money in the family as possible. So if you have a spouse at home, let's, uh, you know, Reader's Digest summary of Medicaid planning, let's get all of the money out of one spouse's name and into the name of the other spouse who's healthy and is going to need that money to live on. And in one fell swoop, we've we've saved the money for the family and we've gotten somebody eligible for Medicaid to pay for long-term care. But it all hinges on that unlimited gifting authority in the power of attorney because that's that's the legal authority to get into my IRA. And, of course, your IRA, the I stands for individual. Only one person can own that account, and that's your money, and nobody else can get in it without a power of attorney, and then we have to empty it out. That's the unlimited gifting authority. So you're you're transferring things out of your name in order to protect and save them and get eligible for Medicaid. But generally, the power of attorney is going to list all the different types of authority to do anything that you currently can or in the future might need have might have the need to do. We're going to cover it all so that we make sure that your decisions can always be made, even if you get sick or injured. So what can the agent not do? Well, there are a few things that even your guardian angel is not allowed to do. A couple of things come to mind. They can't, if you never made a will, your your agent under the power of attorney cannot create a will for you. Uh, or if you have a will, they can't revoke it or, or change it in any way. Uh, so that's one thing that you have to do yourself. Um, some other things you can't say, you can't send your agent to the ballot box to vote for you. Uh, that's not allowed under a whole different set of law. And the voting rights of incapacitated people is is something I find very interesting. That's a topic for another day. Maybe uh, as we get closer to election day, I'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, in Pennsylvania, short story is that um, people who have cognitive incapacity are allowed to vote. There's no encumbrance on their right to vote. That's a pretty important right. Some states uh, impose various tests. Pennsylvania does not. Um, So then, you know, the question is just what level of support do they need to do it? But bottom line for today's purposes, talking about the power of attorney, you cannot have your agent go and vote for you. Sorry to say. Um, So what is the code of conduct? What's the standard? What's the legal rule for for how an agent has to act? Well, when I when I told you before the break about the uh, the granddaughter who was using her grandfather's uh, money th- as you know with a power of attorney to to you know get her nails done and and go buy coffee and stuff like that, that violates the rule because it, there's a certain standard of care or standard of trust that goes with having this role as an agent. It's a fiduciary role. Fiduciary is legal language for uh, you are in a position of trust. You are you have to manage the, the financial and legal affairs of another person, not lining your own pockets in the process. And if you break that, that trust, well, 
you might get a visit from the district attorney's office. Um, so you can have criminal problems. You you could get sued. Uh, it's it's a big deal to to. And now we have probably more than ever before some laws in Pennsylvania uh, because of financial exploitation of elderly folks or other vulnerable disabled people. And that's because people were using powers of attorney. They were even uh, professional guardians using the guardianship system to rip off other people. So this is this has become a very big deal, and there are penalties for, for violating that level of trust. So keep that in mind, of course, when you choose someone. Um, this is something that can be trained usually. I mean, you can't train integrity or honesty, but you can train them, you know, these are the types of decisions you're going to make and how you should do them. Another question I get is, when is the power of attorney effective? Well, you can write them in, in two different ways. One is, it's not effective until I actually become incapacitated. That's called a springing power of attorney. It springs into to action when you are incapacitated. Uh, some states don't allow this, but Pennsylvania does. I just think it's a bad idea because uh, if you become incapacitated, we have to get you to the doctor. We ha- They have to run their tests. Then they have to attach a report just to show that it's valid now. And how likely is it that you're going to be willing to go to the doctor if you have an adult child say, Mom, Dad, uh, we think you lost your marbles. I need to get you in front of a doctor to write that down on paper. Well, you might not be willing to do that at all. So I, I want there to be a seamless transition. I want no delay because if if you need a higher level of care, every day is expensive. More on the power of attorney in a moment. This is the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now your host, Patrick Colley. This is the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Cauley. We are talking today about the power of attorney and what a powerful tool it is in your estate planning. It's underrated. It should really be tailored to fit your circumstances. And I'm going through all the little details. And maybe by now, if you've been listening to the whole show, you're you're starting to understand why when I saw someone in a Facebook group talk about, ah, you don't need a, a an attorney to draft a power of attorney, you can just buy one online, um, then you, you can probably understand why I'm thinking that doesn't make any sense. There's so much going on in the power of attorney and therefore so many things that could go wrong if you, you know, and if you don't get this right, it, you've missed an opportunity for asset preservation. Uh, there might be nothing left to go through your will. So getting all of these questions answered uh, seems like a, a pretty good use of time today. So some other questions that come up, well, you might be listening to this and you're thinking, well, I'm likely to be the agent uh, maybe for for an aging parent uh, or for my spouse. And so if I pick up a copy of this, it's let's say it's all done, it's all signed, uh, it's, it's, it's a valid, effective power of attorney in Pennsylvania, and I go to the bank, what happens next? Well, you have to, first of all, make sure that whatever you intend to do is authorized by the power of attorney. And if you have any questions about that, you know, anybody can who's a client of mine can reach out and say, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Uh, is that allowed by the power of attorney? And I, I will clarify that for them, whether it is or it is not. But, um, you know, you want to make sure if you're going to the bank, that's almost certainly included. You're, you want to pay bills, you want to put money into a, a CD, or you want to do something for your incapacitated spouse or parent. So that's the first thing. Make sure you have the authority to do it. 
The next thing is, especially when it comes to financial institutions, whether it's a bank, whether it's um, an investment firm or uh, an insurance company, you probably want to provide a copy of the power of attorney ahead of time because they're going to send it up the chain of command to their legal counsel or somebody to look it over and make sure that it's valid. And, you know, hopefully they accept it because uh, there are actually penalties in Pennsylvania for not accepting it if if it causes harm because of the delay. There's there's actually penalties. But you have to keep in mind, the financial institutions, especially banks, are on the front lines of fraud. They are on the front lines of elder financial exploitation. So, you know, I, I'm mindful that when, when a client uh, complains and grumbles that, that a bank is not honoring a power of attorney, you know, I have to explain, well, they do have a job to do. They they didn't sign up for this, but they, there's, there's, there's bad guys out there, and they have to look out for the bad guys. And really, the older your power of attorney, the more questions they're going to have because they don't know, has this been revoked? Has it been updated with a new power of attorney? Um, you know, is this person even still alive? These are the questions that they are allowed to ask. Uh, so they might have a prepared form for you to fill out. And you're saying, yes, the person's still alive. Yes, uh, this is still the power of attorney in place. It has not been revoked. It hasn't been changed. It hasn't uh, been replaced by a new power of attorney. Um, and once you satisfy them uh, that that everything is on the up and up, then they must honor the power of attorney. And and there are certain banks that are not as good about this, and and I will just say generally, the more national your bank, the more likely they're they're going to give you trouble about honoring a power of attorney. The more local, the more they 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 know Pennsylvania law, and they don't run the risk of having penalties against them. But when I have to write a somewhat stern letter saying, "Hey, this is Pennsylvania law." Uh, I will even certify that this person is still alive and and that this is the power of attorney. Now, honor it. And if you don't, we have to come after you for the delay, the harm caused by the delay, which if a person is in skilled nursing care is over $400 every single day, $13,000 a month. So hopefully, you know, they just accept the power of attorney. And most of the time, of course, they do. So... But you want to be clear that that a couple other things, if you are using that power of attorney for your spouse or for your parent, anytime you sign something like signing a check or signing an agreement, you want to make sure that you're signing as POA, as power of attorney, not as as you. So this comes up a lot with people getting admitted to a nursing facility of some sort, and there's an admission agreement, and that has some rules of the road. And that includes, you know, don't smoke in our building, but it also includes this is how we get paid and we want someone to be responsible for making sure the money gets here to us when we submit a bill to you. Um, and if you sign your name individually, it, it might appear that you are personally taking on the responsibility to pay the bill if mom or dad doesn't have the money there or or otherwise. And if they have to sue somebody for payment, they're coming after you. So you want to make very clear, you are signing your name, comma, power of attorney for, and then the person's name who's incapacitated. That just makes it very clear that you're just signing it as if you're standing in their shoes and you're acting on their behalf. That can avoid a lot of problems. So... Sometimes, uh, you know, people ask questions about, you know, the investment decisions, things like that. This is not as common, but, you know, if you're using the power of attorney, if you're the agent, if you're making decisions for an incapacitated person, really the general rule is act prudently, 
use care, be cautious. It's actually possible to be too cautious because you might miss opportunities to manage their money the way they would and to grow money. But if you get into any sort of investment decisions, you know, you just have to do what the, the, a prudent person would do. And I know that's not very helpful, but that's actually the law. And, and if you make one bad investment decision, you're not going to get sued. You're not going to get into criminal trouble because they're looking at the whole picture. Even very seasoned financial advisors make an occasional bad investment decision. But when you look at the whole body of their work, they're doing well. And so really, it's just, I, I recommend here getting advice uh, from professionals, you know, not just your elder law attorney, but seek out a financial advisor, seek out an accountant. This can go an awful long way toward making sure that you are the prudent investor for the incapacitated person. Sometimes people, you know, I'm, I get through all these details about a power of attorney and they'll ask me, you know, but I'm the executor, right? Well, the executor is a, is a totally different thing. That's executor sometimes execute tricks to use the old timey legal language sometimes it's called personal representative that's the person in the will you're the person there who you settle the estate when somebody dies so you're gathering everything up you're paying last expenses and then you're distributing property to the people named in a will that's the executor that's very different from the power of attorney power of attorney is is somebody who's the guardian angel during life and I'm a little more concerned about what happens with my clients while they're still alive. So if they get incapacitated, I want them to have a guardian angel. And it's okay. And in fact, probably makes a lot of sense if the person they choose as their agent under a power of attorney is also their executor in the will. Because think about it. If, they're, if the agent is figuring out where the accounts are, making sure bills are paid, making sure everything is is uh, all being managed appropriately, and then the principal passes away, well, then the same person can step into essentially the same role to settle the estate. They already know where everything is. They don't have to start from scratch. So that would make a lot of sense to me. So I did say that I would say a few words about guardianship. Guardianship, I mean, if, if it's too late to do a power of attorney because of cognitive incapacity, um, or, or you know, and we just we can't do one. And then guardianship is the is the government's plan. That that's you, if you don't do a power of attorney, guardianship is the only way that we can get decisions made by another person for you. Now, there's been a lot of changes, uh, not only made but also being talked about in Harrisburg right now with guardianship. It, and and the talk is about emphasizing that guardianship really should be a last resort. So sometimes power, you, there might be a power of attorney, but you know it's my my evil stepsister who has the 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 power of attorney, and I think that she's stealing from uh, from the, the the principal. I think she's mismanaging things. Uh, she's not sharing any information with the family. So I want the power of attorney instead. Well, if the if the the principal is incapacitated, you need guardianship to invalidate that power of attorney and to get the decision making into your hands. That's an important distinction. So a power of attorney usually avoids guardianship, which is good. Guardianship is still there as a way to to override a power of attorney to correct any sort of mismanagement that has happened. But those changes that I talked about with in, in in Harrisburg with guardianship, there's really an emphasis that guardianship should be a last resort because it really does strip the rights away from a human being. Uh, you're you're taking decision making away and giving it to another person. So these are the things that people in Harrisburg are talking about because 
you know, we don't want to do that willy-nilly. We only do that if there is no less restrictive alternative like a power of attorney. I'm really happy you've listened to this. If you've made it all the way through, it's a lot of dense but extremely important stuff. If you want to know more, I do almost weekly a webinar, a workshop uh, on these subjects. You can go to keystoneelderlaw.com, click on the workshops tab and get registered for the next one coming up. I talk about middle class estate planning and asset protection. I talk about how you're going to pay for long-term care. It's a good way to sort of get the big picture all in one fell swoop. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show next week. I'm Patrick Cauley with Keystone Elder Law. You've been listening to News Radio WHP 580.